Blog Talk Radio.
and the Cats are uh, like two or three uh, in rushing defense in the entire country. And it's not like we played some slack schools. We played really, really well, and that continued on Saturday. So that's a positive. Another positive uh, is the is the way the special teams have played. Uh, and what we can see is if you can play well defensively, which they have, and the special teams have just been remarkable, All you can win some games. Now, offensively, they, they've got to get the offensive line together. Uh, we've talked about the snaps not being on time, uh, but they've got to get they've got to get some holes opened uh, up for uh, uh, for uh, Benny Snell, and they've got to keep Stephen Johnson upright because when he's upright, at he one point a, he was what he took a beating. I didn't mean to interrupt, but he got destroyed. I mean, got right. beat and, to death Saturday. And, and at one point he was like 13 of 16 for 100, almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. We'd also been sacked a couple of times and hit. I mean, they, they really beat him up. He's got to stay upright. So I think with that, uh, until the offensive line kind of locks in, they're going to have to. Lose Terry. Well, we might have lost Terry. Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. If you want to join, the show is just starting. Of course, going to look back at Kentucky's win over Eastern Michigan. Look ahead to the game against Missouri. Uh, Terry was at the game, covering for Cameron Mills Radio. So we'll get all his perspective. Like he uh, lost signal for just a little bit, so we'll get him back in just a second. But can you hear me? Steven Johnson. Yeah, we got you back there. There you are, Terry. Okay, I think I think my, my headphones I was using probably is the issue there. Okay. Yeah, I got you so, good now. Okay, good deal, good deal. Um, you know, technology on my end. But like I said, Steven Johnson, <laughs> he took a beating. <laughs> he took an absolute beating and, and uh what we've what we've seen, Benny Snell is a stud. But he benefited a lot last year with Boom. So we've got to do something to kind of split up and and take all eyes off Benny. And he's getting beat up too. So I think offensively they're just going to have to find something that they can that they can do. And I think it's going to involve Bowden. And I think that uh, Coach Grand, Coach Stoops, they're going to have to trust Stephen Johnson. I think right now he's making those throws they didn't do last year. And I, for one, at this point, I don't say he needs to go out there and throw 40 times a game, but I think you can make a case that you can you can put some more receivers in the patterns and do some quick hits with Bowden, with Juice Johnson, which they started to do a little bit uh, in the Eastern uh, Michigan game just kind of getting the ball to Johnson as quick as, as they can and let him work, and that was effective. Uh, so that's going to be the challenge when Missouri comes to town is is getting the offense rolling. Because the defense is playing phenomenally well, especially with Jordan Jones being out. Um, let me just say Mike Edwards is a stud. I mean, stuff he's doing really doesn't even show up in the stat sheet all that much, but he's in there on every play downfield. And, and that's 
that's uh, that's remarkable. Um, so the defense has played pretty pretty darn good. You know, I know they had the lapses against Florida, um, but this team right now it just reminds me of, and I'm trying to think which year it was with with the men's basketball team with Cal. Like they were winning, but they just weren't they weren't able to blow anyone out. Like, it went down to the wire. Maybe it was that 2014 team. I know they lost some, but they just – even the ones they win, they just couldn't – and you're looking at the, the talent and all that, and you're thinking they just couldn't blow anybody out. And, and that may be where this team is right now. They just don't have that ability to separate right now. Because uh, Coach Stoops was asked yeah. after the game, does this team play up or down to its competition? Uh, mm-hmm. And he said he would address it. He said he would hope not, but uh, I think that's human nature. You see Florida across the chest of somebody, I think you approach that game a little bit differently than if you're Eastern, uh, you see Eastern Michigan. Uh, now, the good teams, the great teams, you're going to get their 100% whatever, you know, but that, I think that's a rarity. So really it's up to the coaches and to the veterans on the team to, to keep the uh, – Everybody to a man focused on what they need to do. So uh, it's four and one. You cannot discount that. Uh, but the key is, you think back. You know, we had consecutive four and one starts. I think a couple years ago uh, with Stoops, five and one and starts, ended up yeah. five and one, and not and not getting to a bowl game. Uh, I don't see that happening yeah. this year. There are definitely two wins out there. I see that. Um, but you're four and one, and you're winning games that you didn't used to win. That that historically Kentucky has not been able to put away. So focus on uh, focus on Missouri, get healthy, and then you're almost playing with house money the rest of the season. Uh, there are definitely some wins out there outside of Georgia, and and I know Georgia's looking good, but we know Georgia's been prone to to dropping uh, a game or two, laying a stinker. You know, in the SEC, so uh, I still feel, you know, five games in, like I did at the beginning of the season, there are a lot of winnable games out there. Uh, I don't know if Kentucky will be favorite in every game going forward, but it's not ridiculous to think they won't beat Vanderbilt, they won't beat Missouri, they won't beat even even Louisville. I know Louisville looked a little bit better since Clemson, but still, I, I don't see that being as daunting as a task as it was last year. So, uh, Florida loss aside, and I know that one hurt, and, and I'm, I'm right there with the Big Blue Nation, but there's still a lot of positive things that are going on uh, with the football program. Definitely. And, and uh, of course, if you want to give us a call, it's again, 845-277-9373, at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Um Four and one, and your only loss is to a top twenty team by one point. Where you you help them a whole lot. So you yeah. know there is a lot of angst, like you say, a lot of a lot of frustration as to maybe they are playing down to the competition a little bit uh, because this Eastern Michigan game it did look a lot like the the Southern Miss game, the EKU game. To where, well, Eastern Michigan game they had a, they had a throw at the end 
to win it. I mean, it was a Hail Mary, but they had a chance. Uh, but Eastern and, and Southern Miss, they kind of controlled things, but it, at times it had moments where it was a little too close for comfort. Uh, you mentioned the defense, and, you know, we've seen this in the past. The defense started out uh, hot out of the gate, you know, in the first non-conference game or two, and they're in the national rankings against the run or in sacks. Uh, the year A.J. Stamps was there, they were up there high uh, in interceptions. But then we would kind of see it tail off where those numbers wouldn't stick, where, you know, the defense would get worn down and, and, and have games where, you know, they would get gashed in the run and give them a lot of yards through the air. We're five games in, and they're still sitting up high defensively in the rankings. So we, it's, it's continuing to become consistent. Uh, Derek LeBlanc is getting a lot of credit, as he should, for the work he's done with the defensive line. you still got some games that will test your run defense. Uh, we know what Georgia has with Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle and <laughs> the third-string kid, I forgot his name, he was running all over Tennessee Saturday, and it looks like he could start for a lot of other schools. So we're going to get a big test there. Um, Tennessee is is – a mess, and it seems like as long as we've been doing this show, <laughs> there's always been something going on at Louisville, where you are, and down here outside Knoxville, where I'm at, stuff's been going on with Tennessee. They always seem to have something going on at the same time, uh, and, and of course, Bush Jones is in a world of hurt after that game Saturday, but John Kelly is a good running back that breaks a lot of tackles. Kentucky will have to make sure they tackle when they face him. So there are some some games out there that will test his run defense, but from what we've seen so far, it looks like a unit that is up to the challenge. So, uh, And, of course, you wouldn't expect anything less with, with Coach Stoops being a defensive guy. All of these wins are beautiful to him. He said that after Southern Miss. It's a thing of beauty. Winning ugly, ball control, grinding stuff out, that, that's what he likes, and that's what they've been able to do. And you, you will not ever turn your nose up at 4-1. Uh, absolutely not. You know, the, the, the funny thing was, uh, so my, my friend, uh, Randy Newman, he and his wife, they run the big blue express and, and we, uh, I met them, they covered a basketball game years and years ago, see them all the time at Rupp and they're fabulous. Uh, got to try to have him on cause he's, he's fantastic. So this was his first football game that he got to cover. And so we're sitting there, the cats are up 10. I think at that point they had the ball fourth quarter. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, let's go on down to the let's go on down to Stoops's uh, you know meeting room. We'll you know we can kind of keep track of what the game's going on. So by the time we left the press box and get down the elevator to the concourse, that's when uh, Eastern Michigan scores. And I'm thinking, oh, you got to be kidding me. Okay, so we make our way a little <laughs> bit around, you know, kind of trying to catch the game on the monitors around. By the time we get to the meeting room, some of the first people there, well, they have the ball back. Eastern Michigan does. And I'm saying, you've got to be kidding me. You know, that's what's going through my head as a Kentucky fan. So we go back out, watch the, watch the, the last play because the, the, um, um, the, the meeting room where Coach does his post game is right there at that end zone where Edwards catches the ball. So we're able to see it right there live. But I said, of all the times for me to – usually I stay to the end of the game and then I come down. But all the times, kind of sneak down and get a good spot. 
<laughs> so this is this is going to be the one. But uh, you know, it's four and one. You, you take it. Uh, I think the highlight for me and you know, for a lot of folks, this game uh, was uh, a guest we've had on the show. Uh, thankfully, uh, Nate Northington was honored. Uh, he was honored beforehand, uh, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, between the first and second quarters, uh, student athletes across all sports came out to recognize uh, the impact he had on the university, uh, which I thought was fantastic. There was a video on the board, and just uh, like we said when we had him on, 50 years seems like a long time, but I mean, that's that's within the lifetime of a lot of our parents. So it's not quite as, as long as we want to make it out to believe, but for him to lay the foundation, uh, I was glad he got that recognition. And even better, I got to have a little one-on-one time with him after the game. Uh, he uh, talked about how much fun he had coming on the show and would love to do it again. But uh, a really nice touch was all the uh, student-athletes and the football players had uh, shirts with his name and number uh, on the shirt. So um, it was very special. Got to meet his family that he had with him. Uh, It it was just a fantastic kind of on top of the football game, there was other things there that I'm glad that uh, I was able to take in. Yeah, and I definitely want to – get into more detail uh, about all of that for sure um, because, I mean, it, <laughs> it was an honor talking to him. And then, you know, you were there on the 50th, 50th anniversary of him being honored, uh, honorary captain for the coin toss. Uh, the yeah. Network interviewed him there at the end zone. You mentioned him, him being put up on the video board at Kroger Field. You got to meet him personally after he was on the show. And I was just in awe because, you know, posted the link to the show on Facebook. And this is, I don't know, a month and a half ago or something like that. And saw, you know, Nate Northington likes the post. I was like, Nate, what? Nate Northington. So then you click on it. It's like, is this the Nate Northington liking our show, <laughs> a post in Facebook on our show? It turns out, of course, it was. And so, you know, messaging back and forth and then see about him coming on, and now you've gotten to meet him, and he he listened to a show before he actually came on the show and still wanted to come on the show and still has good stuff to say <laughs> after meeting one of us personally. So, I mean, are you kidding me? You can't, you can't get any better well, than that. <laughs> and so let me just tell the listeners. So uh, Vinny starts messaging me uh, before the game. He said, you know, uh, Nate Northern is going to be there. I said, yeah. He said, you got to try to meet him. I said, I'm going to try to meet him. So we messaged back and forth a couple of times, <laughs> like like some school kids about about that. But, yeah, I was glad I got a chance to – I'm glad I got a chance to meet him. Yeah, man, I was I, – <laughs> I couldn't help it, man. I was just, you know, I did get a little excited. I sure did. Oh, speaking <laughs> of excited <laughs> – Speaking of excited, we are excited right now here in a second to have our guest for the evening join us. Uh, born and bred in Lexington, played for the, you might as well say, the team of Kentucky, being the Cincinnati Reds, uh, part of one of the greatest baseball teams ever, the Big Red Machine. Uh, so we we'll definitely have to get some thoughts on that. 
Doug Flynn will be joining us, so I will jump and take a quick break and give him a call, and hopefully we will have him right back here with us after the break. So we'll be able to talk some 2017 playoffs. We'll flash back and talk about his time with the Reds, the Mets, the Rangers, your Expos, and the Detroit Tigers. So we got to get to talk about all that with Doug Flynn. You're listening to Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown. Stay right with us. We will, we will be right back after this break, and we hope to have Mr. Doug Flynn right here with us on the other side. And Terry Brown here. 845-277-9373 is the number if you want to give us a call. At Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter and TV, we now have our first guest with us, Lexington native, fellow Kentuckian just like ourselves, 
former infielder for the Reds, Mets, Rangers, Expos, and Tigers. We have Mr. Doug Flynn with us. What an honor. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. How are you this evening, sir? I'm good, Benny. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, you know, I was just just excited to, uh, I mean, heard your name for a long time. And when when you and I talked a couple days ago, I already had to be honest, let you know I wasn't a Reds fan, but I've heard your name my whole life and your teams my whole life, and I'm honored to be able to have you on our little show. Well, thank you. You know what that means? That means that you're getting older, and I'm already old. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've come to the realization that that's okay because it sure beats the alternative. So I don't know if I'm growing older gracefully or not, but I'm certainly growing older. (laughs) Well, speaking of, I mean, I don't know if you're even growing old because you're always active you told me the other day that you were going to finish up a show before you came on our show. So tell us about the show that you just finished doing. Oh, yeah. I got a little fishing show here, big fishing I do with a buddy of mine who has fished professionally on the FLW Tour and still fishes a lot of the local pro tournaments. And, you know, I started a little fishing show a little while back, and we're just having a good time. We sort of give folks an idea of uh, what's going on around the local lakes and Fishing's a passion. I love golf, but I love fishing, too, so it's very therapeutic for me, and it's just a fun show, and we'll bring on a lot of different guests, so, you know, from the baseball world, entertainment world, and just have a good time. That is all right, and and I saw the site on your, your Twitter profile, bigleaguefishing.com, so yeah. <laughs> that's us. You merged both passions pretty well, fishing and baseball together. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's there's parts of both of them I wasn't very good at, but uh, as long as you're having fun and you're trying, you know, you're in the business. If you try to entertain folks and and make like you're enjoying what you're doing, it's uh, it's a lot of fun to do. We've been doing it for several years now, and I don't know how much longer we'll keep doing it, but I shoot, I sure love to go fishing. Hey, there you go. And like you said, the, <laughs> the relaxation factor. Uh, you can't ever deny that, even if you don't bring any fish home with you. Now, there's a difference between fishing and catching. Lately, I've been doing <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand. Oh, we'll switch it to, to a little bit of baseball real quick. It, and I'm just so glad to have you on now with the regular season just coming to an end and the playoffs starting last night with the, the American League wild card with the Yankees beating the Twins. What were your thoughts on the season as a whole and, and what do you see happening or anticipate uh, with the playoffs kicking off? Well, I think there's some good teams that are in the playoffs. So it's um... – when you look around and you see who's left, uh, you know, probably the better teams tonight's going to be interesting with Colorado and Arizona. Both of them have had a, uh, super years, and I think it's good for the game when you get some new faces in there. Arizona hadn't been in a while. Colorado, of course, forever, if, if at all. And uh, I like that. I pulled for the Yankees last night because I got a good buddy that plays for them. Todd Frazier and I are good friends. Got to know him when he was here in Cincinnati. Uh, but then if you look at the team, if I had to pick anybody right now, I think Washington looks extremely good. I like the Nationals. I like the Indians. 
Um, it, it's going to be a great series. I mean, Scherzer and Kershaw, can it get any better than that? Not, not really. It's, I mean, um, as far as nastiness is concerned, those are two that you you put right up there at the top. Do you think Kershaw kind of gets over the hump in October? Uh, we've seen him kind of hit rough patches in years past, great regular seasons, and then the Dodgers haven't been able to get over the hump. Do you see him and them maybe getting it done this season? Well, I'm – I'm shocked that they even had the kind of year they did uh, when you start looking down their lineup. But, uh, shoot, they had a lot of guys that really stepped up and seemed every year to be impressive. Um, and, you know, another year under his belt, um, a little maturity. So I got to think that, yeah, it's, you know, you he's not one of those guys that you can say, well, he chokes in, in this time of the year. It's just, you know, his success rate hadn't been too good yet, but, shoot, I'll take him every night. I'll take him. If you said he's going to pitch the first seven games, I'll take him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you, you like your you like your chances for sure. Um, with former Major Leaguer Doug Flynn, and I'm definitely going to flash back to when you played, Doug, as well as the game now. Um but when you, you already mentioned the Dodgers, and I want to bring in the Indians too because, I mean, the Dodgers were lights out, and then we saw them kind of have a slump, you know, where they, you know, lost 16 out of 18 or something like that, kind of came to earth for a couple of weeks. Yeah. We saw the Indians set an American League record and win 22 in a row. What is it like? Have, I mean, have you been parts of cold streaks and hot streaks? What's the – What's the mindset? Do you, if you're rolling and winning, do you try to kind of put that out of your mind and just take it a game at a time? How do you, how do you go about your business when you're in the midst of a, a big funk or a red hot streak? Well, it's certainly a lot more fun when you're winning, uh, and you find yourself in a routine where you're wearing the same shirt or dressing the same time or eating the same food. Uh, stepping on or not stepping on line, talking to the same people. When you're winning, you go through all of these superstitious things. Uh, when you're losing, you're doing something different every day to try to change the bad luck, or whether it be in a slump of hitting or just a slump of losing ball games. And, you know, the, the only way to get out of either one or to keep both of them going is you got to go out there and play. And uh, when I was with Cincinnati, that was probably the time when we – I think we had three – 10-game winning streaks uh, through one period. We won 41 out of 50. So, oh. we were play- yeah, we were playing pretty good. We were, our- and, uh, But I've been with teams, too, that we've lost a lot. I was with the Mets, and we struggled. Uh, and it seemed like no matter what we did, it was wrong. Uh, I mean, if it, it is- I told our catcher one time, John Stearns was our catcher, I said, are you telling them what's coming? And he said, no. I said, well, start telling them because they certainly can't be any worse. <laughs> You've got to figure it out, and it's hard. And, you know, baseball or any sport is a game of momentum, and once it gets going either way, it is really tough to change it. Talking with former Reds infielder, uh, Doug Flynn, 
And Terry, jump in anytime. You know, I, I get long-winded on my questions, but, man, jump in anytime you want. I don't want to be cutting you off. <laughs> I'm taking it all in. All right, all right. I always double-check, you know. Um, and being on that Reds team, Doug, you know, back-to-back titles, and we see now – and I ask you that to compare it to, like, the Cubs, who, of course, ended their, their drought of 108 years and are World Series champs. Is it harder to win the first one, or is it harder to defend and go back-to-back? Well, for us, Cincinnati, that was my first – 75 was my first year in the big league. It was – the toughest one was the first year because they had become known as the – best team ever to never win it. They were sort of like Mickelson was before he won the Masters. Mm. So we, in 1970, they got beat by Baltimore. In 72, got beat by Oakland. 73, uh, they were beat by the Mets in the playoffs. 74, they just sort of disappeared. In 75, you know, everybody was going, it's the big red machine, but can they ever win the big one? So when we got to the World Series, I mean, the, division, the divisions were tough, too. We had to beat the Pirates, and the Pirates had great ball clubs in those days. And, uh, but we knew if we, we were in the East and West, we would have to win, uh, beat the Dodgers, which was going to be the most important, and then after we beat the Dodgers, probably have to beat the Phillies or the Pirates. Uh, but it, the first year was by far the toughest. After we won in 75, shoot, 76, we just rolled. Wow. And then so they we- – you know, that year they traded Tony Perez. Oh, they traded a bunch of us. But Perez got traded in the off season, and then they traded uh, uh, Gary Nolan and Freddie Norman and Joe Youngblood and myself. So a lot of guys were gone. But the key in that was when they got rid of Tony Perez, it really broke up the machine. Ooh. And if I read right, you became a member of the Reds off of a tryout, like just an open tryout? Yeah. I was going to junior college. I played basketball and baseball at the University of Kentucky. I was mm-hmm. on the basketball team and uh, was a point guard, of course. And uh, on the baseball team, I wouldn't get the chance to play very much. And so I ended up going to a junior college where I didn't play any sports. And some friends woke me up one day and said, we're going to go try out for the Reds. I went, all right, let's go. We headed over there. Uh, one of the guys had a glove and a pair of shoes. And they looked at me and said, Doug, you go first. And what I realize now is they really didn't have any intentions of trying out. Uh, they had seen me play some and just felt like, well, if anybody has a chance to make it, we think Doug might, and I'm, I'll always be indebted to those guys for doing that. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was their way of just getting you up there. Yeah, it took four different ones. I went to four different camps. That was the first one, though. And then I went to one in Frankfort, Kentucky. I went to another one in – um, Riverfront Stadium. Then my last one was back here in Lexington. Now, being that they wanted to get you up there to try out for the Reds, and you just told us that you played baseball and basketball at UK. You were also a three-sport star in high school. Which sport came the most natural to you, and which sport was your favorite to play? <laughs> Well, first of all, I'll be truthful with you, Benny. I was not a star. (laughs) 
I was an okay player. Um, you know, I was one of those guys that, you know, fits in good with the team, but I really wasn't a star. I was not very big. Um, when I graduated from high school, 5'8", 150 pounds, um, and then I didn't really grow or mature till after my freshman year in high school. And so I grew a couple inches, started maturing, gaining some weight, and, uh, you know, that's when it all sort of clicked in for me. But, yeah, it, I, I played three sports, and all, all three helped me for the other one. Football made me Ooh. tough, basketball, so I could take a charge and wouldn't, you know, didn't bother me. And then that got my legs in shape for baseball. But, you know, it, I loved all three. Now, my favorite, I was probably, baseball was probably my most natural. Basketball is the one I love the most. Wow. That is interesting. I'm a former major leaguer, Doug Flynn. Remember the big red machine? Then the Mets and, and Rangers and Expos and Tigers. Do you now, in your opinion, you said '75 was it was the hardest breaking through to win the first one. '76 you just rolled. Does that mean that the '76 team was better than the '75 team, or 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 how would you you know if they could play each other? What would you? How would that? Who would win? Um, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. I uh, I think there was a when you look at the guys. Uh, you take great players like Benson, Rose, and Morgan, and Perez. Uh, those four were such leaders on our ball club, but they were they had such confidence. And you knew when you went to the ballpark, and other teams knew when they got to the ballpark, they were probably going to get beat. Uh, but after we won in 75, and they got that monkey off their back, I think 76 team was a lot more relaxed and loose. I don't know what the numbers say as far as, uh, statistics and everything, but I remember it being a whole lot more la- uh, relaxed and loose. And you just went out on the field knowing you were going to beat somebody. <laughs> Man, that and that must have been a good feeling. I mean, when you, I mean, I've seen interviews with Jerry West when he was talking about the Lakers and Terry's a Lakers fan, so I hate to even bring up the Lakers in a positive light, but I will. <laughs> when, <laughs> when they won that 33 games in a row. He said they, you know, they walked down the floor, and he, he said we knew they weren't going to beat us. So that yeah. kind of sounds like what you guys were were going through in '76. Yeah, they knew. I mean, our offense was so good, and we were so solid all the way up through the lineup. With you had those four leaders we had there, and then you throw in Concepcion, Foster, uh, Griffey, and Cesar Geronimo, and our and our pitching was very underrated. We had. Seven guys win ten games that year. I mean, nobody was a dominant star, but we had a really good bullpen, uh, and our starting pitcher was solid. They were going to keep you in the game. And then when you're averaging six or seven runs a game, you you got a chance to, you know, beat somebody. And that that led right into what I was going to ask you because, you know, you already mentioned that I'm getting old, which – I have to accept that because I will be 40. I was born in 77. The year after y'all repeated, I was born. The year I got (laughs) traded the first time. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always heard, you know, the names of the offensive guys, you know, Rose, Bench, um, Tony Perez, Griffey, Joe Morgan. And you mentioned it. You said that the pitching staff was underrated kind of by committee. I've, 
you never hear about the pitchers. And I was, you know, and so they were all kind of just working like under the radar, I guess. Yeah, they were very good, very efficient. Everybody knew their role. Um, matter of fact, I tease all those guys now, Benny. I, I got a T-shirt. It's got uh, Doug Flynn, the glue, 75 and 76. Because if you read any articles on the Big Red Machine, it basically only talks about eight guys. You know, it doesn't say a lot about the extra guys or the pitchers or anything. So I teased them one night when I introduced them and I said, you know, uh, there they are, ladies and gentlemen, the most underrated ball club in the history of the game. And they all looked at me like, what? where's he going with this? And I said, you know, the little story I told you, they got beaten 70, 72, 73. I got here in 75, we won. I was here in 76, we won. Traded me in 77, did not win again. Some guy in the back, some guy in the back hollers, the glue. So I have these T-shirts made up, and I sell them now and uh, raise money for a military charity. So it's, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. But I have such respect. I had such respect for them, though. I mean, we don't see each other a lot. And when you start looking, I mean, those guys to me were bigger in life. And then all of a sudden, there I am playing with them. And now you look at the ages. Pete is now 76 years old. Um, To put it in perspective, we were somewhere, and somebody looked at me and said, weren't you the baby on that team? And I said, yeah. And my wife said, yeah. And the baby's going to draw Social Security this year. So... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Mrs. Flynn didn't miss that curveball, is she? Not at all. Well, she's from New Jersey, so she got a little – she got a lot going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you mentioned, you know, 75 is your debut, and the noticeable, noticeable thing that, you know, when you come on the scene, you go back-to-back. Take us back to the first game that you play. Take us back to your debut in 75. Where was it at? Who was the pitching? And, and what was your emotions, you know, on that, that evening? Well, the way it turned out, I was not supposed to make the ball club. I mean, there was really no spot. I mean, we had a guy. When I went to spring training in 75, they were really looking for a third baseman. So they picked up a guy named John Bukovich. God rest his soul, who was with the Phillies. He'd been with, he'd been with a few teams. I think Milwaukee, maybe. And so they got him to come and play third base. Well, I knew because I because they just had a head us there until the other guys were ready. Well, I knew, though, going back in 75, that Epsion would have the best shape. So, Davey would probably be late. Joe would play himself through spring training to get it. So, I went down. I worked all winter to get in the best shape I could. Well, as I would have it, I had a really good spring. 32 hits and 90 at-bats. And you normally only get about 40 at-bats. 30 at-bats. I was playing every game. So, because I had a good spring and all the media attention that was coming to it, they kept so I became the extra guy on that team. Well, the first game we played that year against the Dodgers, and we're playing in Cincinnati, thousand. And I'll never forget Pete looking at me and saying, "Hey, Doug, this is going to be the first game you had played in a while." Said, yeah, I guess so. 
So I'm sitting down at the end of the bench, minding my own business, kind of watching the game. We got a real tight one. Somebody say, I sort of look around and go, here I am. There he is. Oh, man. It's on base. I want you to bust him over. So we get entered, draw him Oh, having trouble with the connection. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can you not hear me? Got a little bit spotty. Let's see here. Let me see. But you're talking about how how Sparky's wanting you to bunt Geronimo over. Are you still there, Doug? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's try it again. I'm not sure what's going on. Just got a little technical difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I apologize for that. I sure do. Hmm. Radio. Yeah. All right. We're trying to push on. Then we can push on through. I apologize for that. See, maybe if I could just hang, see if we could hang up, and maybe I could call you back, and then we can just pick right back up. I apologize. See if we can reconnect it. All right. We'll try to give Doug Flynn a call back. Connection was acting weird. So we'll see if we can get him back on the line. Let's see. <clears throat> see if we can do that. I don't know what happened to make it just start acting crazy like that. All of a sudden, like, yeah. Technical, technical difficulties and it just got to where we couldn't hear him. I'll try to give him a call right now. So if it's a little bit of a, a pause. If you want to jump in and just take over, because I'm just gonna hop right over and and try Doug again. Let's see. Absolutely. But with with baseball on the horizon and the World Series, uh, I'm a big baseball guy. So I'm looking forward to that. I know we've got the the Rockies and the Diamondbacks tonight. Uh, I don't have a dog in that fight, but it still feels weird to even think that these two teams that weren't even around when I was growing up, uh, the Rockies made the World Series and the Diamondbacks have won the World Series. That's still pretty strange. That's the, the first sign of getting old, I think. We got you line clear, Terry. Have you got Doug and I back? Fingers across. I can hear you. What about me? Um, Hello. I can hear you too. Yeah, we're good. All right. We're talking about your first game, first at bat, and and all that good stuff, Doug. Oh well, how far did we get, or where do you want me to start? You said you said they were you they were yelling at you and said Sparky wants you. And he wanted you to butt Geronimo over if he got on base. Yeah, he well, he basically told me when I went over to him, 
And I figured he's going to say, hey, run, get me a piece of, run, get me a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> but he did. He said, all right, he said, look, when Geronimo gets on, I want you to bunt him over. And I said, then we're, we'll get the base hit and we'll win this game. I said, all right. So I get up there and, and of course, I'm bunting for the pitcher. And here comes Pete. Pete walks out on deck because he's a leadoff hitter. So he's going to be up next. And Pete comes out. He says, how you doing? I went, good. He said, you nervous? And I went, Yeah. He said, what are you nervous for? All you got to do is bunt. I said, yeah, it's my first at bat in the big leagues, though. He said, well, good night. He said, they ain't asking you to do anything you can't do. He said, just bunt the ball over to Steve Garvey. He said, that's all you got to do, bunt it to Garvey. He said, they'll probably walk me in, and we'll get a base hit, and we'll win the game. I went, all right. That's the first game of the year, and that was a, probably my most important at bat in the big leagues because I know if I don't get the bunt down pat, and Sparky is probably going to send me back down because my job was just to do little things like that, go play, you know, spot defense, which I ended up doing towards the end of the year. When Pete would hit the ninth inning on a close game, I'd go in and play defense at third, uh, hit behind runners. and So it was a it was a, an important at-bat for me, but you always like to think your first at-bat in the big leagues that you did something that's going to be momentous. Well, mine was. It just happened to be a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And and Pete Rose saying, you know, don't be nervous. All you have to do is, is bunt. Yeah. And that's probably even more pressure when you, you know, get that thing down, get it to the right side, instead of just getting up there and, and hacking. Yeah. He, he he was trying to relax me, I know. And he's pretty funny. The pitcher at that time was a guy named Mike Marshall, who was the fireman of the year the year before. And Pete said, he'll probably throw you a screwball because he's got a really good one and he knows you. As a rookie, I've never seen his screwball before. First pitch was a fastball right down the middle of the plate, and I bunted about, I don't know, 30 rows up into the seat. I look over at Pete, and he kind of shrugs like, I don't know. (laughs) So then he comes back and throws me a fastball in again, and I bunted it to uh, first base, and we ended up winning the game 2-1. to That was uh, turned out to be, you know, a pretty good deal. Man. So were you you kind of a – Easy going, you know, naturally, you know, to the, you know, where the pressure of the game didn't get to you. Was that kind of your personality as a player? Um, you know, I'd, I've been in a lot of situations, not in the big leagues, of course, but um, I, I don't, no, I, I don't think I was that guy. I, I, would, I would try to stay hyped. Uh, I, I stayed hyped. I tried to play the game with a lot of emotion, and and sometimes that's not good, but. I did that, and that was just kind of my personality is to be excitable, and I enjoyed that. And, of course, you played all over the infield, you know, middle infield, the entire left side, short and third, and then, of course, second. Which was your your favorite position? Did you like one over the other? Did you rather not play one over the other, or were you equally good at all three? No, I, second was my most natural position. Uh, although I played three years in the minor leagues, I played shortstop. But second was my most natural position. And I think the fact that I was able to play more than one position is what got me to the big leagues because I could fill in at short, second, or third. And it, you know, made it nice. So, But I, at third, I never liked. Although I think Pete gave me one of the best compliments ever. He said, you know, you put him at second, he looks like a second baseman. You put him at short, he looks like a shortstop. So I, I always took that as a compliment. But I, I like second. Second came a lot 
more natural and actually a lot easier for me. Mm. So even if those guys bearing down on you, you had to turn that double play and no sweat, huh? That was the fun part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back in those days, it's different now. In those days, they could roll you and body block you. And then they changed the rule where you had to hit the ground first. Then they could come up in you on a pop-up slide. And now even that's changed. Uh, so you can't hardly make contact with anybody. Because if you do, they're going to call interference. Well, that wasn't like that when we played. And uh, uh, I, I, it's t- what they've done with the game today, I think, in a lot of instances, they've taken the art out of some of the games. I mean, there was an art to turning a double play and not getting hit and still being able to put a lot on the throw. And it had to do with footwork and positioning and how you caught the ball and all that. Now you see guys, they don't even try. They just hang right in there because they know if they if there's any contact, it's probably going to be interference. Right. Um, I had one more question about that, too. Did, was the neighborhood play allowed as much back then as it is now where you just kind of put your foot in the general neighborhood of the bag? No, 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 no. That's an old tale, man. That's an old tale. <laughs> I, will te- I will tell you this. At some point in time, my foot always hit the base. At some point in time. And <laughs> I did get called once. You know, you know the umpire, Joe West? Yes, sir. Joe has been in the game a long time. We were together in the minor league, and we're playing in Houston one night. At first, had the bases loaded, uh, tie ball game. Seventh or eighth inning, slow hit ball to short. I came across the bag, boom, grabbed it, turned it, put the first, we're out of the inning. I look back and Joe West is going, safe at second. And I went, what do you mean safe at second? He said, you didn't hit the bag. I said, I'll guarantee you I hit the bag. He said, okay, then you were off the bag too soon. And I went, which one is it? And he says, it doesn't matter, the guy's safe. And Joe, Joe Torrey got kicked out. My pitching coach got kicked out. First base coach got kicked out. Joe Pignatano. And we ended up losing the game 2-1. to one. And to this, to this day, when I see Joe West, that's the first thing we'll talk about. <laughs> he, we were at a restaurant, was at a restaurant one night, and uh, we were at a celebrity golf tournament, and all of a sudden, the waiter came over, and he says, uh, there's a gentleman that wants to buy you and your wife a drink. And I went, really? And said, who is it? And he pointed to Joe West, and I looked over at him and said, uh-huh. Feeling guilty now all these years later, aren't you, Pods? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, we're talking with Doug Flynn, former Red, member of the Big Blue Machine. Of course, you talked about big already being the glue and how they didn't win until you got there and hadn't won after you left. What was it like when you did get traded? Like you said, the first time you got traded, you know, you're young, you hadn't been through that before. Were you? What were your emotions? Did you realize it was a business? What was that part of it like for you? Well, I didn't. I wasn't excited about it. Um, Pete told me, actually, they announced it on the radio, and Pete was playing third, and whoever was in the other team's dugout told Pete that I'd been traded. And he came over in the dugout, and he sat down beside me and I said, uh, I'm gone, Ernie. And he went, yeah. I said, where am I going? He said, you're going to New York. I said, really, uh, who for? 
No, I said, which one? He said, uh, you're going to the Mets. And I said, oh, really? Who for? He said, Tom Seaver. And I said, straight up? And he went, not hardly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was me and Stevie Henderson, Danny Norman, and uh, Pat Zachary were all a part of that trade. And and I remember Pete telling me, he says, he didn't want me to go, but he said, it's a good thing. He said, you're going to get to play. He said, you're not going to play here. He said, it's a good and Johnny Bench told me the same thing. He said, Doug, it's a good deal. He said, you're going to get a chance to go over there. Uh, Buddy Harrelson and Felix Mion were getting a little older, uh, and I have the utmost respect for those two guys because they couldn't have been better to me when I got traded. But wow. it was, gave me a chance to play every day. And the, the sad part of it is I've been five years with the organization, five and a half, three in the minor leagues, two and a half in the big leagues. And when I got traded, the front office didn't have a thing to say, like, good luck, congratulations, you know, go get them, this is good for you, nothing. And we had a good manager, Nick Wagner, and he was, he's kind of, you know, all business. And I realized right then, all right, this game is fun for us. It's like that movie North, North Dallas 40, when Nick Hopi goes into the office and he looks at the front office and he said, you know, when we call it a game, you call it a business. And when we call it a business, you call it a game. And uh, that's true about professional sports. Right. Now, of course, being able to play in both leagues, I got to ask you, what was your favorite favorite venue, your favorite ballpark, and your favorite city? Love Chicago. Love Chicago because we had all day games and we could go out and have good dinners at night. <laughs> I loved that. Um, I loved that town. That was Chicago was a great city. Uh, there were there were a few really cool towns. Best ballpark, you know, we had all AstroTurf fields back then. Uh, they just changed. This was before they even changed uh, Candlestick, and they ended up changing it over to turf when uh, OJ came. But it was it was a hard AstroTurf field, and then it became a very lousy. Uh, Natural surface uh, The best infield I played on And I wasn't in the American League very much Detroit had a great field And I loved their ballpark And Baltimore had a wonderful infield It was probably oh. as smooth as anything I'd ever been on Wow and, That is really, that is really cool We had all those cookie cutter stadiums back then And they all had AstroTurf I mean Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia, Cincinnati Montreal mm-hmm. So, so it's amazing any of us are still walking. Yeah. And speaking of Montreal, uh, Terry, co-host there, was a huge Expos fan growing up. And when I was watching those Braves Expos games, maybe it's just me, correct me if I'm wrong, but on TV, it, Olympic Stadium was just the dreariest looking ball game <laughs> stadium to watch a game in. Was it like that in person? I mean, that's how it came across on TV. I mean, oh, no, it... no. it was worse. <laughs> <laughs> and back then, we didn't have they didn't have the dome on it either. Uh, the dome didn't come till after I got out of the game. Because when we played in there, it was just open. Uh, they had tried to put a dome on it once, and I think the snow ended up being too heavy, and it kind of messed it up. So they didn't really have a any dome at all, and the shadows were terrible, uh, the field, yeah. you know, and you had no summer. Summer was like a week long. It was <laughs> cold and damp, 
but uh, you know the the folks when they're talking about bringing it, or Tim Raines is talking about trying to get a club back in there. Hmm. Well, Terry, uh, man, you might get your squad back, Terry. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a I'm a diehard guy, uh, so I would love to see the Expos come come back in. They had really really great teams and great players. Couldn't get over that hump, yeah. but definitely uh, really really. I mean, they had an eye for talent. I mean, you look at all the people that came through that organization. Uh, they were spotting and developing. Uh, you know, they went on to kind of bigger and better right. things, if you want to frame it like that. But you know, the Expos, they knew what they were doing. You know, when I, I I thought we were going to – when I got over there in 80 – let's see, 2 or whatever. Yeah, 82, I got there. I was the sixth second baseman that year for them. They had tried oh all people. Tim Raines was the last one they had tried, and they realized they need to move him to the outfield. And so Raines – we had Raines and Dawson and uh, Cromarty. Um I mean, these guys could play. Then you look at Tim Wallach at third, Chris Fire was at short, Al Oliver, Gary Carter. Uh, I thought we're going to roll. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to roll. But I was I was there two months, and then we didn't win it that year, so they started unloading everybody. And uh, mm-hmm. I think if they'd have left that team intact and just beefed up a couple of things, it was going to really be good. Uh, I love playing with those guys. Some of my best friends day I met there, like uh, Scotty Sanderson. Scott Sanderson and our good buddies. Gary Carter was a dear friend. So there's, you know, they, yeah. they have good talent, too. Now, is the, since you played in both leagues, is the American League, are the, are the leagues more different now, or were they more different then? I mean, you got the interleague and everything now, but more different then. Really, a lot more different than the strike zones. A little different. That was more of a high strike zone league. And of course, the umpires wore that bubble behind the plate too. So they, when they started allowing them to uh, just wear the regular chest protector underneath their their clothes, that changed everything. But the the thing that's changed the most is free agency now. You know, usually you'd sign a contract. Uh, they'd be one-year contracts, but you'd sign year after year with the same team. Now with uh, league trades and guys going, you know, where the money is, it's it's a lot different today. Uh, back then, there was it was a pretty big rivalry, American League versus the National League. So uh, I don't think you see that rivalry now. One thing they did, though, at the All-Star Game, uh, I like the idea that you make it an exhibition sport. I think – there's so much pressure on the guys all year to go out there and try to play and win. And when you get to the all-star game, let guys sign autographs and have a good time. Yeah, that would definitely uh, be a better way to do it. It sure would. Um, I see where you won the gold glove in 1980. So that would be with the Mets where could you tell maybe as you're, going through that season that, hey, I'm having a gold club glove type of season, or was it just a, another season in your in your mind, or was there something different about it for you from a fielding perspective? Well, uh, I actually thought I had better years two years before. Uh, I thought 78 and 79 I had better years because I played more games. My fielding percentage was might not have been as high, but I was 
when you rank it up there with other guys in the league, it was, you know, right there with them. So I thought 78, 79, I thought 79 for sure I would have got one. But in 80, I did year, but I broke my wrist. So I only played 128 games. And uh, I broke my wrist, and I really never even thought much about it until I got a call, and they said, hey, you win the gold glove this year. And I went, and uh, the guy that told me that I won it was one of the guys who voted on it. He was a writer. He, he didn't vote on it. He was a writer but had access to the balloting because he wanted to be. He said that I'd finished second uh, in 78 and second in 79, and then I won in 80. Oh, that's pretty good. Then I finished second again in '81. So, you know, it was. It, I didn't. I took my pride in, but that's also became very natural for me as well. And I don't know, you know, where you you came onto the scene in '75. Is it, is it a case of maybe you build your reputation and then the recognition is a little bit delayed, even though you had better years. In 78, 79, you don't get the recognition until 80. Is that kind of what happened, you think? No, I think if I'd have hit better, I'd have won more gold gloves. <laughs> 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 I don't think about that. I just, you know, my hitting was always an issue. It was a problem, and it, it never came easy. My whole career from the time I was uh, in Little League and everything, hitting was just always very tough for me. I'm very thankful as Mark Melanger once said, there are two after this game. I was able to contribute to one of them. And that's <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was going to ask you, you know, from that era, who were some of the nastiest pitchers you had to face? But would you say all of them or? <laughs> Every stinking one of them. <laughs> stand out, of course. I mean, Steve Carlton was very tough. Uh, Nolan Ryan, I didn't face him a lot, but he was nasty. J.R. Richard was probably mm. J.R. Richard, I mean, he this guy 30 years of age has a stroke and he is as good as anybody who's ever pitched. Um, six foot eight. Yeah. 160 pounds. He was nasty. Um <laughs> But, you know, I got to play against a lot of the old guys like Gaylord Perry and Phil Necro and mm. Paul Gibson in spring training. Of course, Tom Seaver was a great pitcher. There were a lot of really, really solid pitchers. And there were guys, you know, some teams today really don't have a stopper. You look back at one guy that was really good. Yeah, so that is – that is just something else. It really is. Um, so you would have already moved on from the Mets before Doc Gooden came on the scene. I was going to ask you if you had maybe got to yeah. to be a teammate from him, but he was a couple of years later before he got there. But Yeah, but I've become the New York Mets. And Doc comes to the fantasy camp a bunch, and uh, – you know, he's he's very well-liked by everybody. He's very gracious. Uh, seems to have things a little bit better. I, I hope so. Doctor, yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. Well, you are a good guy as well for taking the time to come on our show, Doug, and we can't thank you enough. Appreciate every second of it, and we'd love to have you on again sometime. Eddie, you got it, my Absolutely. friend. I appreciate it. 
at you and Terry. Thank you, and uh, always a pleasure to be with you, man. It's uh, even it's our first time, but I'm sure it won't be our last. Um, I hope the players are honored. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. You have a great weekend. You too. Enjoy the playoffs. All right, pal. Oh, well, yeah, get ready to turn it on right now. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, uh-huh. sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was former Big Red Machine member Doug Flynn, Red Mets, Expos. Rangers and Tigers TV. When he got there, they won in 75 and 76. And when he left, the Reds didn't win again until 1990. So he truly, I mean, we well got, I mean, he was the reason. The reason the Reds won those two. No, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, um, I'm familiar with Cincinnati and, 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 you know, that's kind of the adopted team, a lot of overlap between Kentucky fans and Cincinnati fans. But I know they haven't had a ton of recent success, but Cincinnati is a baseball town. And they love the Reds. Uh, I think the Reds are the first professional baseball team, and they take it, they take it serious. And, and to be a – I mean, right now you've got people younger than us that talk about the big red machine. So the, the Cincinnati loves – they're red. So thank you to Mr. Flynn for stopping by and and as you like to say, dropping some knowledge on our show. Yeah, man. And you know, had to kind of mix in a little bit of what's going on with the playoffs just starting. But definitely wanted to get some some stories. Uh from I mean that that those red things are iconic. I mean, like you said, we were born in 77, a year after they went back-to-back. And you and I know Bench and Morgan and Rose and, you know, Griffey go on down the line. You know, Sparky Anderson, the manager, manager that won the World Series in both leagues because he went and did it with the Tigers after leaving Cincinnati. I mean, we know all of that as if we grew up watching it happen. You know, so that's how big of a mark they have on Kentucky. Uh, me being from southeastern Kentucky, I kind of leaned to the south and, and became a Braves fan. But that doesn't mean I didn't know about the Reds. Uh, the second MLB game I ever went to, my dad and I go to Cincinnati Riverfront in 1990, the year the Reds won again, their first championship since going back to back in 75 and 76, we got to see the 90 Reds play in Riverfront against the Pirates. And just just like then in 1990, the same as it was in the 70s, the Reds and the Pirates were butting heads, you know, in the NL East and the NL West, and got to see Barry Larkin and Chris Sabo and Jose Rio pitch. Uh, Hal Morris, Paul O'Neill, Eric Davis, all those guys. I'm not even a Reds fan, but I remember those guys. And you had Doug Drake back for the Reds. You had a young Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke and Jay Bell and all those dudes. And that's the game we got to see. Barry Bonds did a home run that day. Cincinnati won 3-1, to one, and it was a pitcher's duel. Jose Rio and Doug Drayback were just mowing dudes down. I remember being sad because the game was like, you know, everybody complains about the length of games. The game was over, barely two hours and change, and I I had never been to Riverfront before. So I'm 
watching the game, but also just checking it out, looking around and, and taking in all the sights. And then you look up and it's the sixth inning. I'm like, my God, it's going to be time to go. I'm just, you know, I'm 12 years old wanting the game to last forever. So that's why, <laughs> you know, I've never wanted to complain. About, I've never wanted to complain about the length of games. Sure, you know, watching on TV, nobody really has time to maybe set aside three or four hours. But if I'm going, I don't care if it's extra innings that it's, you know, it goes 12 innings and it's 10 to 9 or, you know, 12 to 11. You know, it's just fun being there. So I was disappointed that both of those guys were pitching so well and we weren't able to stay longer. But it, it was fun seeing that team go on to win the World Series a few months later, you know, not a Reds fan, but it was cool watching that team play and seeing young Barry go yard. And, and Bobby Bonilla, who was still getting, still getting his money, which is oh man, ain't that, <laughs> ain't that some negotiating one on one? But I forget, I forget a lot about his career. I mean, he was a great player. Don't get me wrong, you know, uh, no. not not an all time great, but a very very good player. But it's just. The simple fact that every July, I think it is, like, oh, you know, it's Bobby Bonilla Day. He's got another payment rolling through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and back then, you know, 89, 90, 91, you're still looking at Bonds and Bonilla as they're both going to be all-time great. They were you know, a, a pretty solid duo. You know, Bonds went ahead and, you know, of course, you know, elevated his career on up. But at that time, you thought, well, this is this is a pretty good squad here. And Vance Light was no slouch either. So they had, I mean, Pittsburgh had a squad. And then, you know, Barry leaves to go to San Francisco in 93, and we see the Pirates struggle for years and years and years until, you know, Andrew McCutcheon and all those guys got him in the playoffs a few years ago, and they're kind of, Becoming decent again, but you know back then, and, and you know I remember my Pirates, you know '92, the epic battles they had with the Braves after Cincinnati and Pittsburgh used to play in the NLCS. It was Atlanta and Pittsburgh, and the Braves had to get through Pittsburgh to go through the World Series. And the infamous Game Seven win where Sid Bream beats the throw, slow Sid beats Barry's throw to win it for the Braves in Game Seven. So. uh off the Francisco Cabrera hit. So that's, you know, stuff you never forget. But, you know, the Pirates were loaded back then. Small market, but they were loaded. Yeah. Uh, Andy Van Slyke, who was a, a phenomenal outfielder, the thing I remember most about him is his cap was always a half size too small. And it just, <laughs> it, it never quite went down. Uh, like it should, but yeah, Pittsburgh, and it's it's tough to imagine because Pittsburgh, as you point out, after that team kind of broke up and you know and everything in those early '90s went on a, just a dreadful run. But up until that point, uh, like uh, like uh, Doug was saying, you know, Pittsburgh, the We Are Family, Bumblebee Pirates, they were World Series quality more times than not. You know, even if they weren't winning, you knew you had to go to Pittsburgh and 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 beat those guys. So, um, it's 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 weird how things become cyclical. And uh, while you were calling Doug, I was just talking about you know with the Diamondbacks and the Rockies playing tonight. 
two teams that 15-year-old Terry would have been like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, but here they are. Uh, with both teams having been in World Series and the, uh, the Diamondbacks winning, uh, which I think is the, the World Series that stands out to me more than anything was the one in 2001. And, and just uh, all the emotion and everything uh, about that time period and, and that World Series. And, but people always forget, I forget routinely that the Rockies were in a World Series fairly recently. Like it just, I put them up there with the Maryland Terrapins of 2002. I talk about it all the time. Just teams you forget even competed for a title. Just, oh yeah, the Rockies were in the World Series. Or the Red Sox, you know what? Didn't Boston sweep them. Like, like Boston yeah. swept them or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know the Astros were in a World Series. Uh, the one thing that trips me up, like I said about uh, that O2 title game, uh, NCAA title game. Oh yeah, Maryland did play Indiana. Okay, yeah. I'd, or <laughs> in O4, yeah, Georgia Tech actually did make it to a championship game that was not the Kenny Henderson. Stephon Marbury variety. That's bizarre to me right there. So uh, there's just these teams, and it, it just it catches you off guard when they compete for a championship. Yeah, wasn't that was that was not Paul Hewitt, was it? They got them to that title game, was it? I think it was. Oh my goodness! And, and they lost to so. they lost to Mecca Okafor and, and that that Utah UConn team, I think. Right. Yeah, the Ben Gordon team. Yeah, I think I think that's who they. Yeah. I think that's who it was. I just remember they had that yeah. that Luke Schessinger, the the tall curly head Australian kid that was in the post. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just weird. You're like that team actually did get to a championship game. Like I, I think in a, sometimes it still is bizarre that Butler made it to back to back title games. You know, when you look, you look at the teams that made it to back-to-back final games, Butler's got to be the one. You're like, what? You know, you can you can say, oh, well, you know, Duke did, Kentucky did, uh, obviously UCLA did. Um, but then you're like, Butler? Okay, you know. But just – And had a Gordon Hayward, you know, a Gordon Hayward heave away from winning it, you know, kind of like – I mean, the odds of making it were slim – but it was kind of like the William Avery heave after Kentucky came back to beat Duke in 98. You hold your breath until it hits the backboard and, and bounces on harmlessly to the court. That's kind of where it was with Hayward shooting that shot. For You know, Duke fans no doubt held their breath until it bounced off the backboard and, and banked, uh, not banked in, just banked off the backboard. Same way we were. Because I just had this dread, oh, my goodness, William Avery's going to hit that right after this epic comeback that the Cats had put on, probably not calling timeouts, keeping Duke in a bind, and watch William Avery bank in a half-court three to still let Duke end up winning it. But neither happened. Well, about that, and this is a weird segue, this is the game people forget about. When, when, when you start rattling off, Great Kentucky basketball games. I know we're ta- we're going to start talking about the this year's cats, the seventeen eighteen cats. Looking back on that twentieth anniversary of the ninety eight team, which is one of my favorite teams, because that was a team nobody really anticipated them doing anything. And 
and uh, friend and boss uh, Cameron Mills is working on that documentary that will debut uh, later this year on the 98-18. But the final four game against Stanford that went into overtime, right? You're talking about the William Avery shot that missed. Peter Sauer, point guard – or no, I'm sorry, shooting guard for Stanford in the overtime – had a shot that was almost the same. And I, I want to say that was kind of short and to the right before a moment. I know I was thinking, this is it. This is, this is, this man, you know, we've dodged the bullet so much. This is, uh, this is how it's going to go. But thankfully it missed. And of course the cats went on. Um, but yeah, you're right. Those shots, those moments that, uh, you're like, man, a few inches either way, and you're thinking, whoa. So I remember that Stanford game, uh, and this is for me to get on my soapbox a little bit about that 98-18, is we can say a lot of things about Tubby Smith, you know, maybe didn't recruit the kind of guys that the fans wanted to recruit, what have you. But you can't tell me he can't coach. Uh, a lot of folks will say, oh, he had Tubby's players, yada, yada, yada. You know, I don't know what's going on in that documentary. But if you look at the Duke game, the Arizona game, and the championship game against Utah, those last three games, you cannot tell me he can't coach. You you don't come back from 17 points down in the second half against Duke and win if you can't coach. You don't win an overtime Final Four game if you can't coach. You don't come back from the biggest halftime deficit in NCAA term, uh, championship game history, 10 points, but still the biggest, if you can't coach. So the Tubby can't coach, folks, you really need to watch those last three games uh, again to get a handle on, yeah, the guy could coach. Yeah, that Stanford game, that was, that was 86-85, right, after being down 10 Double digits? Yeah. Or they were down. Yeah. I mean, because it was yeah. party at they were over. trailing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that was yeah. the, the culmination of, uh, I, I want to say, like four times in six years, we played Utah in various stages of the tournament. <laughs> I yeah. think that was one of the quirks <laughs> of just the 90s. If you look, we have played Utah more in the tournament than not than outside of the tournament. I think we've met them right. a total of like six or seven times in the tournament, most recently with Andrew Bogut. Remember Bogut and Ramel Bradley uh, kind of getting chilled yeah. in naval, if you will, <laughs> uh, during that game. <laughs> That's right. But, the, and, but and we Moon met. did not back down either. He was right in his face. No, no. Well, he was looking. No, but, but, <laughs> but meeting – Utah, you know, second round, third round, regional final. I think the only time we did not meet them was, like, in the actual final four. But uh, right. it, was just, it was just strange that no matter where Utah, they all, we ended up playing them, and it was thankfully always to our benefit, but it's kind of bizarre. Uh, Marquette is the same way. We played Marquette more in the tournament than outside of the tournament. And they're one of the few teams, I think it's a 500 head-to-head matchup, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but just one of those weird, weird quinks. Yeah, for sure. Now, 
because we just kind of probably bounced back and forth between football and basketball the rest of the way. Um, but the news that Jared Vanderbilt for this team is going to be out until January, uh, you hate to hear that. Uh, sure, there's a lot of players, kind of interchangeable parts, 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", long guys at that position. It's a forward We've got a plethora of forwards. It's a forward-heavy team, if you will. But uh, he was definitely a versatile guy. And it'll be interesting to see how they work him back in in January. But he's got issues with his feet. Rest did not work. Uh, so hopefully he will be able to get it fixed and, and be able to put it behind him going forward uh, and, and come in and, and be able to contribute and, and get a rhythm from January on to March. Well, and I think that's going to be a good thing. Uh, not that he's injured or anything like that, but I think it's going to be good because he'll have some, uh, he'll have some games to really get himself back into the flow. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be a huge thing. By the time he comes back in January, that's, that's the conference season. That's going to be, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, weekend game. It's going to be a nice rhythm to get to get back. There won't be those stretches where there aren't a lot of games. You'll still be able to get a lot of practice. Uh, and what we have figured out, and as basketball season has approached, or is it's right here, uh, the funny thing is I'm going to keep track of how many Kentucky fans will will absolutely fall into the same trap that we fall into seemingly every year. And I've talked about it before. I'm going to talk about it real quick here. Cats, a lot of talent, very, very young. They're going to play the big marquee game against Kansas. Might win, might lose. You know, that's going to get people excited. Got a couple of cupcakes to get going. Might split, you know, the 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 matchups in December, you know, Louisville and, and, and all that. Uh, and then we're going to get to the conference season. We might have two or three losses. Uh-oh. And we might not blow out Auburn. Uh-oh. You know, we might not look, uh, blow out South Carolina. We might go a couple of games and only win two or three games by a total of 15 points. People are going to say, uh-oh, this team, this is what's going to happen. And when I see it on my timeline, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag you in it, Vinny. The people are going to say, oh, this team has no heart. Oh, this team, they're all selfish. They, they, they don't play for – same thing happens every year. And, and as an observer, you can tell these guys are figuring it out. And what's going to happen? Another deep tournament run. I mean, you can almost set your watch by what will happen during the season. Same thing happens every season. This is Cal's 10th year. Same thing happens. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> when Vanderbilt yeah. comes back and he adds an extra – uh, 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 you know, an extra uh, layer to to the team at that point. Um, you yep. Then you'll just say, okay, here we are. You know, another elite eight, another final four. Okay, you know that that's <laughs> same thing happens every year. Who are you most looking forward to watching, or who is going to be maybe the the player that? Uh, you kind of think it's going to break out or think it's going to have a good year. 
Uh, is it one of the new guys or is it one of the few returning guys? I, I'll be honest. Here is my thing. Uh, I don't really know a lot about the freshmen. And it will probably uh, – I'm, I'm covering – uh, Midnight Madness for for uh, Cameron Mills Radio, so I'll be there for that. I know of names. I don't know what a lot of guys look like. I don't know numbers or anything like that. And I sound, I feel bad saying it, but that's kind of where I am. Uh, because you know, I'll pick that up. Right now, I'm looking. Winyan Gabriel has got to be that guy. I mean, he's gonna he's the the lone yeah. producer that's returning, and he's got to be ready to accept that challenge. You know, he had stretches last year where he was that stretch four that we're looking for. Uh, so he's got to be able to bring it. Sasha Kalea Jones, um, he, he's got to be able to, to, to bring something to the table. I mean, I don't think he played the last, what, 18 games maybe, if I remember reading that right. But it was a stretch where, where he didn't play. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes we forget that's kind of what a freshman is supposed to do. Like things, uh, our expectations get out of whack and everything like that. But a freshman is supposed to learn. It's, it's not supposed to be easy to, to jump from high school right into contributing. I, I really think that freshmen like Carl Anthony Towns, like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, like Anthony Davis, uh, now I know we've had a lot of great freshmen, don't get me wrong, but, but those guys from the jump, those guys from the jump were head and shoulders above just about every, everybody we played that year. Well, that's not, that's not usual. That's not the way it works. There's going to be some learning curves. Um, and when you have a learning curve and you've got so much talent ahead of you, you're, you're simply not going to play. And I think that's what happened to uh, Clay Jones last year. So I would expect him to make that sophomore leap and really uh, solidify that front court. That that's going to be the the uh, the thing I look out for. Um, what I would really like to see from this team is who is going to be the shot blocker. Who is going to be the guy to just do, to erase those shots? It wasn't really Bam last year. That wasn't really in his skill set. Uh, and when you look at the games, uh, it was more uh, of, of Derek. Uh, kind of being Derek Willis, kind of being that rim protector, which caught me by yeah. surprise. But the really, really good Kentucky teams under Tick Cal, the really, really good ones, the 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 ones that are just clearly above everybody, had an elite shot blocker. And Nick uh, in 2015, we had two. Guy. Yeah. Do what? Yeah. Nick Richards. Could be that guy. He's one of the freshmen that you know we're going to get familiar with as the season goes on. But uh, I did yeah. look at a few highlights of him on on YouTube. It, the offensively, he's raw, and other phases of the game may be behind and kind of have to get coached up and develop and be brought along. But it's there for him to be that rim protector, more prototypical cow rim protector like we've seen in teams past. It it could be him uh, having that role if, if he, you know, does what he needs to do. Uh, and I'm with you on Winion and Sasha Kalia Jones. 
you know, SKJ is going to be kind of probably like my Michael Mulder last year. That's, you know, kept beating the drum for Mulder. I'm, you know, I'm not the only one who's got high hopes for both of these guys. But we heard a lot about how he got better. He didn't play to finish out the season. But in practice, he was getting better. But he was so far down the depth chart, he wasn't about to crack the rotation to get on the floor. So hopefully he carries that over. Uh, like you said, just the natural progression from freshman year to sophomore year. Uh, hope to see a lot of big things. He's got the skill set to to put it all together. We'll just to see if he does. And winning Gabriel as well. Uh, I think it was the show where uh, you weren't able to be on for the full show because you were, uh, had to work because you were in Cincy. But you know, I don't follow all the players on Twitter. But you know, just get on Twitter enough and you'll see a retweet or a like or something like that. But that show, I think earlier that day, William Gabriel had tweeted out, this my year, and that's all it was. Just, you know, and I, I like the sound of that tweet. We've all seen the work he's put in in the weight room, and now he's kind of, you know, he's feeling confident. This is his year. He's had flashes last year, kind of wore down, uh had a 23-point game, I think, at Auburn or something like that. We saw flashes last year, but it was a long season. And now you see that he's kind of got his body built up for the rigors of that long season. Uh, and so he put in the work, so hopefully he'll be able to see the fruits of his labor. But, yeah, I'm like you, looking forward to both of those guys. And quite a green, the point guard, just because <laughs> we know how Cal is with point guards every year. Uh, the tradition of point guards is strong here since Cal has come to UK. Just like the the big man rim protector tradition is kind of uh, built up, and you see how the team suffers when you don't have a shot blocker. Looking at Quade Green, you see the next point guard is going to come in behind De'Aaron Fox, uh, and we'll see how he does in leading all these big guys. He got a lot of big long guys to work with. Uh, he's a small point guard, but we'll see how he, he runs the show as well. Well, and this might be the year of of Cal going, uh, I don't want to call it a gimmick defense because I loved it way back when, but the of going full, I would love to see him do it. I know he's married to man-to-man, but the amoeba zone yeah. defense that UNLV employed, uh-huh. if you've got yeah. lots of quick athletic guys, I don't see why you don't do that. Uh, but that's, you know, I'm no X's and O's guys, but I just know that if you got some length out there, you can most assuredly cause some havoc if those guys can get out in the passing lane. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see. Uh, like he was interviewed, you know, they plan to have the media interviews from August that they all release, you know, the first part of October. And, and that Z word <laughs> – came out of Cal's mouth. Now, we'll see how much Z actually happens when the season starts, but that's always a question that he gets asked from time to time as far as mixing it up. This team has the links to do it. Now, uh, <coughs> Jim Beheim's probably licking his chops to have a team as long as this because, you know, he's married to zone just like Cal is married to that man-to-man. But maybe Cal will mix it in here or there and, a little bit more than he's ever done, just based on his personnel. 
And I think you can man-to-man if you have that rim protector. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think last year's defensive lapses and some teams' uh, defensive lapses, because we don't have that guy back there. And, you know, a yeah. lot of things have been written about Nerlens. Uh, I think uh, the Towns kind of gets forgotten about what he did defensively. Well, he didn't really call it sign. Made it really, really difficult uh, to score in the paint. Um, I just I say to myself all the time, what if we did not have Nerlens on the 2013 team? How how bad would that have been? <laughs> I mean, because he erased a lot of mistakes. And and as far as defensive games go, I will put his game on the road at Ole Miss. I'll put that in my top five defensive games I've ever seen. Just the, the way oh, yeah. he just—he, I mean, he got everything. I, I just—it was absolutely ridiculous to behold. So, I think that, uh, and it's easy to say, okay, your defense is easier with a shot blocker, but it is. It really is. Yeah. And that's where I think our teams, where they have struggled on defense, is not having someone back there to do it. That just wasn't that wasn't Bam's role. That that wasn't what he was going to do. Um, and, and really, uh, I, I think uh, that that's what we need to be successful. Uh, I hope that we get to see that a little bit uh, this year. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be at Big Blue Madness. I'm going to check it out and try to scope out as much as you can in such a <laughs> in such an mm-hmm. over the top just oh, such a ridiculous. <laughs> Over-the-top, opulent. I mean, it is just – I mean, <laughs> I love it. Don't get me wrong. But, my goodness, can it get any more over-the-top? And uh, and I love it. That's what you should have if you're the premier college basketball program in the country. But, woo, some of the stuff you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, the, the price tag for the stuff come out. But you you get things you get like you get John Wall the John Wall dance you get all that kind of stuff so I certainly understand it it's the the cost of doing yeah. business uh, Cal mm-hmm. is a maestro of it uh, and it's not even a practice we talk you know that's one of the talking points you know it's twenty three thousand people for a practice it's not even a practice it's a it's a <laughs> going through the motions drill and people are ridiculously <laughs> hype about it I'm excited because yeah, I get to cover it and wear my blue pants, so I'm stoked. But, uh, right. I mean, the, the thing is, what, what is Coach Mitchell going to do this year? What it, you know, what, how yeah. is he going to kind of top what he does? And, oh, by the way, yeah, the women's right. team is going to be good this year. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Michelle, uh, Forever Big Blue, did a nice article on the fan day they had last week uh, with the women, or this past weekend with the women's team. The women's team is going to be very good. So, you know, we're, we're waiting to join that club, of men's and women's teams, both in the Final Four. And I think that Coach Mitchell and Coach Cal give our programs an opportunity uh, to do that. Definitely. Definitely do. <clears throat> um, so we'll switch back to football. We covered a lot of basketball, but, you, of course, you're going to cover Big Blue Badness. You just covered the Eastern Michigan game. Did you get to ask Mark Stoops that question in the post game, like you were trying to do as a goal? 
No, because I was actually on the front row because, uh, I, like I said, I got down there early. Uh, but he, it's, and I want people to understand that there's only a limited amount of time where the coaches are there to take questions. And what happens is their eyes go to people that they know. So yeah. it's going to be the Mark Stories. It's going to be the Kyle Tuckers. And obviously it's going to be the Allen Cutlers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's why there was, the, there was one time a few years ago where I was going to ask Cal a question, but it was football was still going on, so people were split. There had been a football game that day, I think. And so a lot of folks were uh, still covering football, so it wasn't a full contingent of media folks there for the Mm -hmm. basketball game. And uh, we made eye contact, but I chickened out, and I did not ask a question. But I'm not going to let that go by again. (laughs) Uh, I need to ask Cal a question this year. So, let's see, you got there, game started at 4 o'clock this past Saturday. Were you there at 2, and when did you tailgate? When did you, when do you go up to the press box? And then when did you go down on the field? Just how did this, how did the whole evening go? Well, you know, they opened the press box for football and basketball two hours before the start of the game. Uh, so with football, I got a lot of people that I try to hit on my tailgating circuit. Uh, so see, I got there about 12, uh, yeah. I got to like about 12 and parked and, uh, you know, now we've moved up, we get to get one of the, the fancy media parking passes. So it's not as far. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, but get to, uh, I visit a little bit and then about two fifteen, I, I head in, I change my shirt. Because, you, you know, you can't – there's no cheering from the press box. They remind you that. But right. tailgating, I got my yeah. Kentucky football shirt on, go Cats and everything. But I put on, you know, my regular plain shirt, uh, go in. And, and it's nice just to hang out. There's a lot of media folks there pregame getting getting the food. But uh, it's nice to hang out. Oh, well, and, and I wanted to uh, get there a little bit early so I could at least be in the orbit of Oscar Combs because the, the Louisville okay. stuff was still in everybody's mind. Uh, so just talking <laughs> to him and uh, the KSR guys and just, like I said, the Mark Stewart, all those. Jeff Drummond, we had a nice conversation uh, about uh, yeah. what you wrote about. Uh, uh, oh, the guy that got suspended. I can't even – I'm drawing a blank because I'm getting old. Um, Danny Trevathan. Danny Trevathan. Danny Trevathan. So we talked about that hit. We talked a little NFL, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think the Florida game was going on at that point, the Florida-Vanderbilt game. So I like to go go when you just kind of hang out. It's nice. You get set up uh, and everything and, and watch the game. Sat next to Larry Glover of Larry Glover Live. Uh, that's wow, who I was okay. next to. Uh, and, it, and it's really it, – it's, it's, a, it's a fun environment. I don't want to say that it's not. I don't take uh, – it's not like I, uh, I, I never want to get to the point where I'm – I feel like uh, I don't appreciate it because I do. It it really is awesome uh, to sit there uh, in the box and, and cover the game uh, and everything like that. Um, the game, the TVs are actually on the game, and it's weird. That, I know you figured out when you cover the game, there's a delay. Even people watching yeah. on TV, 
there's a delay from what you see to what is actually on the screen that folks are seeing or hearing Tom Leach on the radio. So it's right. always a little bit of a challenge to make sure your tweets don't tip off a play or something like that. Because there are people that will follow <laughs> along just by Twitter uh, or Twitter in conjunction with something else. So uh, always count a little bit before <laughs> before uh, I tweet something out uh, if it's going to be televised. Um, I love the job I want. I want TV guy. And there's a guy in a red <laughs> shirt that is the one that signals to the officials, you know, when we're coming back and all this kind of stuff. That seems like a pretty cool gig. That seems like a job right. that I could, I could, man, I could do that. Uh, but I love, <laughs> love the TV guy. Um, and I, I think if if you go to a game and you see it on TV. And you're thinking, you know, you watch it on TV, and you're like, oh, these all these commercials. Well, it's really awkward in person because there's a lot of dead time where there's not stuff going on. That's yeah. the, that's the strange thing is at least with basketball, the timeouts are kind of built in a little bit better, I think. So there's a little bit more of a flow. But football players will come back from a timeout, still kind of mill around waiting on the TV guy to give them the signal. So that's a little strange. Um I've heard but right about I've heard I've heard fans you've been to games, you know, at uh Tennessee as a fan, um maybe even at Auburn too, but where it is televised and every like you say, the dead time, everybody in the stadium is looking at the T V guy to give the referee a signal that you can play because it's back to live action. The players are lined up on the ball. And I've heard players yell at the TV guy, you know, or really yell at the network. Come on, ESPN! Come on, CBS, or whatever. I've heard, I've heard fans get angry at the TV person, like it's like it's his fault. He's just waiting for his signal to give it to the referee. But I've seen fans get upset at him. Well, and it's crazy because there there might be like an injury on the field, or somebody's down, and they'll cut to you know a commercial timeout. The 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 guy's up. Like, he's been up, and he's on the sideline, and, you know, sometimes he's back in the game, but there's, you know, but there's still, they try to squeeze in two or three commercials during that break. And I get it. Everybody needs to make revenue. Uh, I just think that the the way the timeouts go, I think, in football, it's a little bit disjointed. Uh, that would be one thing I'd, I, I would tweak if I was the guru. Uh, but I absolutely love going down, uh, going to the games, uh, one of the, the the cool things is if you get a, a a referee that forgets to turn off his mic, so you can hear you can hear that that happened in the EKU game. He had a, a hot mic for a, a few minutes. Uh, that's always good. Uh, <laughs> um, I get and it's, I get to go to go the ahead, Missouri game, so I'm I'm trying to get to go to the Missouri game this coming Saturday, and I'm. It's kind of doing the same thing as you. I was going to plan on getting down there about 3 because it starts at 7.30 or something like that and and just milling around outside and, uh, you know, hitting tailgates and stuff like that before I go in. So I was kind of trying to do the exact same thing. So. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's cool. Uh, it, it, it makes you feel good. Hey, aren't you, aren't you the cat's talk? You're one of the cat's talk guys, right? Uh, that's good to hear, hear that. Or, hey, you're with Cameron Mills. And those, yeah, you know, 
you know, I'm not yeah. saying I'm a celebrity, but it's nice to, uh, for people to say, hey, I, I, I recognize you from this, that, and the other. And uh, Kentucky fans, I mean, they, they know how to tailgate, man. They, they woo. I, I love football <laughs> tailgate. It is, it is fantastic, man. They need to do basketball tailgate. <laughs> it is. Tailgate is, is awesome. And, and you get there, and there's grills going, and people tossing footballs, and it's it's fantastic. I'll say that the the game day atmosphere is a lot better than it was uh, before a lot of the renovations. Uh, I think that's fantastic. The stadium on the outside looks better uh, mm-hmm. than it did when you and I were in school. Like you can't see the it, there's a lot of like you can see the steps and the bleachers, and it just like we were talking about uh, earlier, built during the seventies, a lot of cookie cutterness to it, not a lot yeah. of feel to it. But it's night and day uh, with the stadium. So I know you're going to have a great time. Uh, enjoy the food. They don't have ice cream anymore, so I'm a little bit out of shape about that. But uh, the food, <laughs> the food is, is pretty good up there, and it's just good to to rub elbows with with uh, those folks. Um, you know, with the Missouri game coming up, the last time Missouri came to town, I covered that game. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite highlights ever covering any kind of Kentucky game, did I, tell, I don't know if I told this last week. I might have. Did I talk, did I talk about this? Uh, about the coaches? I don't think it was last week, though. Oh, well, yeah, the but coaches. That's my coaches. favorite Missouri yeah, the Missouri coach, that's, that's one of my favorite though. memories ever, uh, was was sitting next to the Missouri coach's box and after the game, them screaming out, this is Kentucky, how do we lose this bleeping game? That, that I thought that was pretty, pretty hilarious. Because that was the first, that was a top 25 win. Uh, Matty Malk played, and he played at Missouri for a long time. I think he replaced Brad Smith, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, <laughs> so he played for a while. And it was a big time, big time win uh, for Stoops, so... Uh, this is looking to be three straight wins over Missouri, four straight uh, in the bag already over uh, South Carolina. Uh, these are the kind of games you need if you're going to take that leap and, and certainly replace Tennessee in that upper half of the SEC East. Yes. For everybody listening, about 10 minutes left. Anything goes past 8 o'clock will be available immediately on the podcast, blogtopradio.com slash cats talk. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox. I'll tweet out all the different ways. You just search Cats Talk Wednesday. You can find every single one of our podcasts. Uh, one last foot, uh, well, one more football note, two football notes, and then we got to close on some NBA TV. Tate Levitt, the offensive lineman, has left the Kentucky program today, transferring to a, another school where uh, be able to get some playing time, and he was a highly rated offensive lineman, and he just wasn't able to crack the rotation. And we're still seeing, you know, some guys banged up this year. The offensive line hasn't clicked in jail as much as it has last year, and. It's just still a hair off in the running game, still hair off in, in some blocks. We saw Steven Johnson take a beating against Eastern Michigan. Uh, guys rushing around the edge, guys rushing up the middle. The first play of the game, and, and 
we talked about Tennessee trying to replace Tennessee in the East. Tennessee starts the game against Georgia. They throw a little flat right out to their wide receiver, and the pass is thrown late, and the pass floats. The Georgia DB picks it off. So immediately, Neyland Stadium is deflated because they're like, here we go again. Oh, my goodness. We barely beat UMass last week. We're about to get killed by Georgia, and that's what happened. So you fast forward to the Kentucky game. Kentucky's trying to go deep or play action. And Steven Johnson, man, on TV, it looked like he almost got his arm ripped off. You know, that strip fumble, you know, the sack. And the guy came around and hit his arm and kind of grabbed it. And look, you know, it, it's legal play, but you saw Steven Johnson run to the sideline with that right arm hanging by his side, almost like he got that separated shoulder. And, you know, some throws did fail and, you know, may miss on some throws they might not have. But <clears throat> I said all that to say, you know, the line still isn't clicking just yet, but Tate Levin wasn't able to crack the rotation. So you, you got to wish him the best as he goes to pursue a school where he is able to play. But he just wasn't able to crack the guys that are already ahead of him. So, uh, he's going to go and, and, and look to play elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you, as a kid you see the writing on the wall, but even with the woes on yeah. the offensive line, still not able right. to get yeah. onto the field. So, you know, we don't know the inner workings and all that kind of stuff, but it it did uh, because he came in under a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. Uh, so I certainly yeah. uh, I can understand his frustration, but – uh, you know, you wish him the best. We've had players leave all kinds of all the sports. Sometimes it's just not a good mix. But you would just think that with the offensive line kind of as shaky as it was, you know, sticking out and maybe you get a shot. <laughs> that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, uh, also, you know, Jim Smith has a story on her leader. No doubt, you probably saw the tweet yesterday from my good friend Freddie Maggard, uh, whose nephew Dalton is recovering from a serious infection. Uh, Coach Stoops and Stephen Johnson went to visit Dalton in his hospital room. Um, Freddie tweeted out how uh, grateful and thankful and how much gratitude the family had for the two of them coming by to visit. Uh, young Dalton in the hospital and had brightened his day and, and made him uh, kind of a spark for him. Uh, so we definitely hope he gets better. And it, it was cool to see Freddie tweet that out, and, and now it's uh, cool to see Jennifer's story about it. Yeah, I, I was glad that uh, there's a picture out there uh, of Steven Johnson and Coach Stoops uh, in in the room. And, and that, that means a lot to those folks, which – is a great segue to what I think is one of the coolest traditions in sports that has just started. At the University of Iowa, the football stadium is in relative close proximity to uh, the hospital, the children's hospital there. So I want to say it's between the third and fourth quarters. They get the, 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 chi- the children, the patients there close to the windows, and the entire stadium waves and cheers at these kids in the hospital, and it is absolutely fantastic. That is one of the 
I don't know. They've only done it like three or four times maybe, but uh, it, it's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you can, you can Google it. Uh, I'll try to dig up and, and retweet it uh, from my account, from the show account, that it is really, really touching uh, to see the Iowa fans kind of acknowledging and, and cheering for uh, those kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to see heartwarming things like that for sure. Uh, that never, ever gets old. Speaking of getting old, uh, you and I are NBA guys. You and I love the NBA, and we'll end the show on this so you have to catch the rest on the podcast. But the NBA All-Star game that we love, our favorite All-Star game, it kind of got a little bit old. Even the past couple of years, as much as we like it and support it, it's kind of hard to defend that there was absolutely no defense being played at all. I mean, not even a little bit. There wasn't even the, you know, last five minutes of the fourth quarter where, okay, now let's play. We've been out here just, you know, dunking and, and just running up and down and, and doing this and that. Now, okay, let's let's see who goes, who's going to win this. Hadn't even had that in the past couple of All-Star games. So now a new format is coming out for the 2018 All-Star game, which will be in the Staples Center, home to your Lakers, as well as the Clippers, to where – the leading vote getters from each conference will pick teams uh, instead of having the East team against the West team. That's not going to happen anymore. Uh, both teams will also be playing and making a donation to various L.A. charities, two different charities in the Los Angeles area. It's going to be a whole lot different. You have guys from the East playing with guys from the West, depending on how the teams are picked. And I just wrote a piece about it yesterday on CameronMillsRadio.com. It's going to take some getting used to, but I think it's going to be a cool thing. You know, you got some that might think it might not work or might not be a fan of it. I'm looking forward to it. You you know, say it's LeBron and and Kevin Durant that are leading vote getters from each conference. Then you look to see how they pick their team. How will they go about assembling their squad? Who's going to pick who? Um, will LeBron pick Steph Curry? Will, will you know? How will that work? Will Kevin pick Russell Westbrook? All of that. Uh, and I wrote my piece on how it would have went maybe back in the day, back when you had real rivalries. Because now you don't have the cutthroat rivalries that you had back in the day. Outside of Russell Westbrook, who is old school like that, everybody else is kind of cool with each other off the court. So it's, it's interesting to see how it plays out. And I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. It, it's going to be funny when LeBron – I hope they do the – when they pick the teams, it's like a pickup game, and you say, okay, these are your 28 all-stars, and you have to pick your squad. Because I want yeah. LeBron to look at Kyrie and be like, no, nah, and then pick somebody else. I would live for that. <laughs> I think that would be funny. I would, I would love for Durant to do the same thing. Uh, you'd be looking right at Russell Westbrook and say, I'll take Stephen Curry. And just, you know, I I, I think that would add to the ante if they did it. I would love to see it, like, you know, an hour before tip-off. Like, not not, don't – like, just a regular pickup game, an hour before tip-off, 
and then, you know, you go get your jersey and play. I don't know how they're going to work it out, but I'd love to see that because I think we could see some absolute pettiness on here. Uh, you know, there, you know, people that I, – I just I, – I would love to see that. That's just me. It's a little confusing. I know that the NFL has done this, and the NHL, I think, has tried something else. It's all-star game. And really, the NBA all-star game, I've always been a fan of the format. I know it's not quite as cutthroat as it once was when we were growing up because of player movement and, and that kind of stuff. But basketball, of all the all-star games, lends itself more to an exhibition than the other sports. We can all agree the Pro Bowl is trash. It's just trash. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, and it has been. You know, once guys stopped going even 80%, it started being trash. Now I get it. Nobody wants to get hurt, yada, yada, yada. But football at half speed is really garbage. Uh, baseball, I love the setup, American League, National League. I love that you get one player from every team. I, I get that. But too often what happens in the bottom of the ninth, you know, it's, it, it's, not, the, it's not the leading vote getting all-stars. It's decided by, you know, it's, you know, position player, you know, the guys that kind of barely made it just because, oh, that's right. You know, we do have to have a brewer on the team. You know, that's you know, that's that's kind of what ends up happening. And it and don't get don't get me wrong, I think the last couple or if I remember correctly, there've been some all star games that have come down to the wire, but it's like I'm really not sure who that guy is that's pitching and I really don't no. know who that guy is that's hitting. And I'm like, Oh yeah, okay. But with the NBA, would always and I don't watch hockey enough to even comment on the NHL All Star game. But right. basketball, it always was. Let's, you know, I think probably from the late '80s through the 2000s, it really became a game of we're going to have some highlights, we're going to have some fun for the first three quarters, three and a half. But if it's close, we're going to go for real. And we see that uh, a lot of times. Uh, I always love it because at that point, you generally have 10 of the best, very best basketball players in the world on the court. And it's interesting to see who kind of becomes that guy. Like, like who's going to become the, the, the playmaker of the playmakers. And I always like that aspect of the NBA All-Star game. Uh, we could probably still end up with that with this lineup, but I just I think this is the NBA saying we know a lot of our stars are out west, and we're trying to keep it interesting. Yeah. I, I think I mean that if if they were to be honest, that would be my thinking is them saying, yeah, we've we've got to we've got to do something because you get LeBron, Kyrie. Um, Maybe the Toronto guys, John Wall. Uh, I mean, you really freak. You, yeah. I mean, you could end. You could end up with some, uh, with a pretty good squad. But I think that if you went, you know, fifteen deep for each roster, in the Western Conference, pick sixteen through twenty could be really, really good. That would be my, my thing yeah. as well. So I, I like to see that. Uh, there's gonna, I think there's going to definitely be a Kentucky flavor to the All-Star game. 
Uh, I think Devin yeah. Booker riding the wave of, of what he was able to do last year, I think he's going to work himself into that conversation. Towns is going to do it. Davis is going to do it. Uh, I definitely think Wall is going to do it. This could be the year yeah. we could get four or five Wildcats on the squad. Uh, Jamal Murray coming. Do what? Jamal Murray is coming. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think the next generation in in you know four or five years, it's already ridiculously Kentucky heavy. It's going to be even more so, and we've talked about it before. Just the cornerstones of the franchises. Uh, you know, in four or five years, you could have. You know, uh, Fox and Monk could be those guys. Fox is playing really well in his uh, uh, debut in the preseason. So uh, the All-Star game, I I love just the NBA weekend. The dunk contest has become relevant again, three-point contest. The skills contest, which is one of my favorites, uh, the Towns won a couple years ago as a big man. Uh, That's something they should have had back in the day because I'm thinking – Man, Isaiah Thomas would have killed it at that game. I mean, he would have killed it, or, or even Magic uh, doing the skills competition. So I love that. Um, I mean, we'll we'll see. Like I said, I hope we can see a little bit of because you know LeBron is passive aggressive. Uh, he's the king of that. There, there's no debate about that. <laughs> so uh, for him to actually, you know, to his face not pick Kyrie Irving, I think would be fantastic. That's just me. That's just me being, wanting to see some pettiness. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, cha-ching, you know, Russ and KD not pick one another or, or some other slight. I, I'd like to see that as well. You know, LeBron, like, you know, I'm going to go with D-Wade and Kyrie. Or however it works out. I'm, the details, I'm sure, will emerge, but it, it'll be hilarious either way. That's for sure. That's for sure. Man, we got another fun episode in the books. Um, looking forward to another fun weekend. Kentucky basketball is, is getting things rolling. Kentucky football has got a good look at 5-1 again. And then uh, a well-earned bye week. So uh, they get the win against Missouri. They're on pace. For your ten and two, five and one plus five and one equals ten and two. So that's still out there on the table. Um, I'm looking forward to it, getting up there and, and enjoying covering the game at Kroger Field just like you did. I'll go home Friday and watch my Harlan County Black Bears play Williamsburg. I always usually try to go at least one game a year. I'll go to the Black Bears game Friday. Head up to Lexington about twelve or so uh, to get up there about three to uh, to hang out. I'm gonna try to find you know, some of the guys like you like you mentioned, like Anthony White, uh, the BBN Talk Talk guys. It's homecoming. There'll probably be some former players that aren't even coming to mind that I'll you know have a chance to meet and and, and talk with. So that's that's always gonna be fun. Um, and, and looking forward to Kentucky hopefully taking care of business against Missouri uh, like they have the past few years. Uh, don't be focusing on the bye week, even though human nature, they might want to focus on this final game and then enjoy that bye week, enjoy that, that last break. Kind of like in baseball, 
that Sunday before the All-Star break, you know, guys' minds are already drifting away to the rest they're going to be getting, and the All-Stars are drifting on to getting to where the All-Star festivities are going to be. They're going to have to just put that aside, focus on Missouri. <clears throat> this team is 1-3. and three. They fired the defensive coordinator second week of the season. So you go ahead, and this is the team you're supposed to beat. Uh, even if it is a grinded-out game like we have seen, a win is a win. But hopefully they can kind of uh, not play down to Missouri's level and, and control it and do it in a more convincing fashion. Yeah, and we didn't even get to talk about what I saw this afternoon. I just retweeted it out. Apparently, my man Jerry Rice at the golf club where he plays at in California randomly crashes weddings. So I, I, I tweeted back out. I'm gonna. He just. <laughs> it's the craziest thing I've ever read. But it, he does it as, as, as sport as hobby. So that's what he's been doing since he retired. And I'm thinking, oh I need goodness. to get remarried just so he didn't have to crash it. I will invite him to my wedding. So pretty cool story. <laughs> that I, I got that out there. Hey, Jerry does know there was a movie about that a few years ago that came out, right? Yeah, but he just shows up and he's like, you know, hey, I'm Jerry Rice. And people freak out. And uh, <laughs> uh, one of the best, the one of the better replies to the story was, well, you know, Jerry's all about reception. <laughs> oh, <So>. good. <laughs> <laughs> cue the cue the rim shots. <laughs> but a, wow! But apparently he, he goes and like I when I first saw the the title, I'm thinking, okay, he just shows up. Apparently, no, he goes to the reception. Like he goes and hangs Ooh. out and dances, and I'm like, this is wow. awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for this. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> What a way to end the show. Jerry Rice crashing weddings. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I am going to look at your tweet, though. I, I, I am going to look at it, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had to get that. Bad as I hate to the Niners, I, I, the nines, I am going to look at it. So, yeah. We enjoyed this evening, and wow. What a way to put a bow on it. TV talking about his homeboy, Jerry Rice. But thanks so much to Doug Flynn for coming on and talking baseball and, and reminiscing about his career and talking about the playoffs. We have the um, Rockets and Diamondbacks playing for a chance to face the Dodgers on Friday. They're playing right now. Uh, so we'll be uh, down to four teams in each league going at it. Uh, which will be fun. It's October, and it's always fun. It's always intense. But, man, looking forward to next week. You had a great piece about Nate Nordington we did talk about, and you got to meet him, and you wrote about him on CameronMillsRadio.com. Everybody check that out as well. And continue uh, to listen to and support the show. We really appreciate it. Rate and review it on iTunes, on Stitcher, various different places where you can catch it. And this time next Wednesday, I hope we're talking about Five and one for the win over Missouri, and another fun episode. And who knows what other fun stuff we'll hear, similar to Jerry Rice crashing weddings next week. So for my man Terry TV Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. Have a good weekend, TV, and looking forward to next Wednesday again. And we'll do it all and have fun with it as we just did this evening. So thanks again, everybody. This is. 
Test Talk Wednesday, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Until next week, have a good day, everybody.